Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those, over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word. Thank you, Ling Ling, for reading God's word to us this morning. Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you here today. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to keep them open to Romans chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, let us know. We'll get you one. If you didn't bring your Bible because you trust me to put the Scripture up on the screen, you shouldn't trust me. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, how grateful we are that you are God who has provided righteousness so that we could come boldly into your presence. Not because of anything that we have done, simply because of your mercy. God, because you are a merciful God, we want to bring some requests to you. We dare to bring them to you. Not only because you are full of mercy, but because you are a God who is able to do far more than what we could do or ask or even imagine. So we want to remember, even now, our Cambodia team, as they prepare to leave us this afternoon to spend time working with young adults and teenagers in Cambodia, God, may your grace and mercy be obvious. I pray that you would guide them and protect them, give them perseverance for long days on their feet. And Father, I pray that as they offer assistance to real needs, that that would provide a platform for your good news. And we pray especially for the one who will specifically share the gospel with a large group of Khmer young people. God, help that word to be planted deep in their hearts. And we pray that for every one of our mission team members, the sweet aroma of Jesus would be obvious. And God, we also pray that you would prepare our hearts 
for our quarterly congregational meeting. May you see in us joyful anticipation, thanksgiving at what you are doing in your mercy in our midst. And God, now as we uh, sit here full of life and vigor, we remember there are those who are not here, those who are ill, those who are sick, those who are recovering, and one at least that even at this moment all of heaven is preparing to receive her. I pray that you would give her family comfort and that for those of us who live, let us live on purpose, knowing that the days are short, the time is coming when work will be done. So even now, God, prepare our hearts to hear from you. We pray that you would find in us men and women not only wanting knowledge, but wanting to know how we can better obey what we hear, live what we read. Do this for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I think you already know, Sherry and I have secrets that I share every time I preach. Um, she's not here, but she will be listening, so she's used to it, for those of you who are getting anxious. And this is not really a big secret, but some of you may already know that she and I, both of us, have two passports. Because Sherry, of course, was born in Florida, and then she became a Canadian in 1987. I was born in Vancouver and became an American in 2005. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I never shared that with my parents. Now they're both gone and in glory and don't care. I'm happy to share. But I didn't share it because my mom uh, was a very black and white kind of Christian. She was not even happy with a Canadian passport. She would always tell us, you know, we have citizenship in glory. So I know that if I had told her I didn't just have one passport, I have two passports, that would just send her into distraction and she would not die in peace. <laughs> there's, there's something that we need to understand about this life that we live. We, in essence, live in a world in which we have dual allegiances. Because, you know, you know, when you have two passports, you have to remember where you are all the time. Because America has free speech enshrined as the First Amendment of their Constitution. That means you can say anything you want. It might be hateful, you can say it. The Constitution protects your speech. But in Canada, no, no. Um, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So hate speech is against the law. I've got to remember, if I'm in Canada, I can't say those things I want to say about my brother. I might hurt his feelings and then go to jail. So in America, you constantly hear this conversation. Somebody says something absolutely outrageous, and their friend says, I don't agree with you, but I'll fight for your right to say it. In Canada, you often hear, oh, did I say something hateful? I'm sorry, don't want to hurt your feelings. It's two different cultures because the two different realms have different obligations involved in the citizenship that you have. When you have two, you're struggling. This is basically the message of Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. There is 
in this world two kingdoms. And every one of us are living under the weight of expectations of one of those two kingdoms. In the course of the next few uh, minutes, so I'll be honest, more than a few, I'm going to be filling out this outline of these two different kingdoms. One is a kingdom of guilt in which sin reigns. The other is a kingdom of righteousness in which grace reigns. The ultimate end of the kingdom of guilt is death. The ultimate end of the kingdom of righteousness is life. Death comes by Adam, the founding father of one kingdom. Life comes in Jesus, the founding, the founder of the other kingdom. So let's get into this. Um, one of my favorite movies ever, because I want to act like I read, Alexander Dumas wrote this story. It's an adventure novel. Anybody know what it is? The Count of Monte Cristo in 1845. Those of you who are Googling already, it may have been 1844. Don't ask me afterwards. Um, this is an amazing story to me. I, I love the movie. I've seen it seven or eight times because it tells a, a story of a young man, Edmond Dantes, who, who was a strong follower of Christ, a little bit naive, believed that everyone was basically good, trusted everyone, did good to everyone, and then disaster struck. His best friend betrayed him. He was doing a favor for somebody. I don't want to blow the plot, but he was doing a favor to somebody, carried a secret letter back, turned out to be from Napoleon. He was charged with treason and ended up in this horrific island prison. For 11 years, every birthday he was beaten just as a gift. Everything was lost. His best friend who betrayed him had married his fiancée. He lost everything, including faith in God. Until one moment in his cell, he heard this scratching and knocking, and then his floor, the stones in his floor, began to break open, and out pushes this horrific-looking man who turns out to be an Italian priest, and they became close friends. The priest thought he was digging out of the prison, miscalculated, and dug into another prison cell. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but one great quote, as this priest had given him a map one day, he said, you will be my son, you are my son, God has ordained, and, and Edmond says, I don't believe in God, and the priest said, doesn't matter, he believes in you, meaning God has a plan. Now, if Sherry was to walk in right in the middle of this scene, she would sit down and watch it for a bit because she likes to spend time with me. But sooner or later, she will say, and this is not hypothetical because it happened, why do you watch movies like this? This is so depressing. I can't take movies like this. Well, well you know how I responded when she said that? I said, because I know how the story ends. So, so this is really important. 
Because our text today starts with a really important but small word, therefore. It's an adverb, meaning everything we're talking about today depends on everything Pastor Eugene talked about last week. Whenever the author, meaning Paul, uses therefore, it means he's not finished his sentence. He's continuing his thought. And you might have noticed that chapter 5 even begins with a therefore. He's consider- that's his favorite adverb, therefore. He never has a comma. He never has a full stop. He just keeps talking. Therefore. So we need to understand what are these truths. Remember the definitions that Pastor Eugene gave us last week? This rejoicing, it's actually dependent on, on the boast that we have because this word boast is the same word as rejoice in Greek. Remember he said that? Remember he said we can have joy because of the work Christ planted in our past? That joy is nourished by the work of Christ today and it will be fruited out in the work that he's continuing to do. So friend, if you feel like right now your life is meaningless, just like Edward, just like this figure in the prison, you feel like your life is a mess, you feel like you're having your Count of Monte Cristo misery, then let me tell you what I told Sherry. Just watch to the end. Watch. Because the God who wrote joy in your life is writing joy now and will fruit out joy in the future. Therefore, I boast. Why are you so confident? Because I know the end. Christian joy comes from the fact that we know the author, and he's let us know in his word how things are going to end. No matter how much the situation breaks your heart now, we can have joy by boasting in the work that the Lord is doing yesterday, today, and even now. This is the beginning. This is why we can have this joy. This was what he said earlier. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by the death of God, of his son, sorry. Now that's what he did in our past. Much more than that, We rejoice also in God through our Lord Jesus because we have received reconciliation. We used to be enemies, but Christ's work has made us friends. He has made peace between us in this almighty, holy, good God. Therefore, he said, I will boast in the Lord. But here's the problem. There is a contagion in our world. Adam died and we all caught it. Right? Death is contagious. This, this, this is the percentage for those of us who live. The possibility that we will die is 100%. Because of this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. This is that 
contagion. Death is contagious. You feel like you're living now. You're actually not living. We're all actually dying, actually. In fact, we are actually 40 minutes closer to the grave right now than when we walked in here. Oh, some of you are 30 minutes. Some of you are 15 minutes because you walked in. Death is contagious. But the interesting thing is this statement about the, the law and where the, the law doesn't exist. What, isn't that fascinating? There, there's no sin that is counted when the law doesn't exist. What, what does that mean? It means that if you get arrested here in Singapore, the first thing they are going to do is boot up their computer and check their database. Why? To see if you've got a record. Because the law begins to count. Why does the law exist? The law exists to remind me I'm guilty. Doesn't mean there was no sin before the law. It means nobody was counting. It was like the wild, wild west in America. There's no sheriff in town. Nobody's counting. Nobody's keeping record. There is still sin. sin we die not because there's a record. We die because we're sinners. That, that's it. That's why all of us have this contagion in our life. Um, by the way, this verse 14. Some of you are going to accuse me right now or think, oh, is our pastor being a bit of a, a heretic? But, but do you notice what it's saying here? Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam. Oh, I, I want to say something that may sound a bit controversial. Um, Adam didn't die because he sinned. Let that settle in on the congregation a bit. Sin is something I do that grieves God. Transgression is something I did not do and so grieves God. So actually in secular Greek, that word that is translated for us as transgression means a lapse. You know, I was doing something and then I you know, just didn't do it, so I lapsed. I you know, fell asleep at my post. So it is still sin. But Adam did not sin because of what he did. He didn't die because of what he did. He died because he did not do what he should have done. And what do you suppose that was? Lead. In the moment that spiritual leadership was required, he didn't do it. Now, now why, why do I know that? Because if you remember in the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, Eve was the one who actually sinned by believing the serpent more than she believed God. So you would think that if she was the responsible one of the couple, when God was walking in the garden, he would have said, Eve, where are you? Come, we need to have a chat. But he did not do that. In verse 9, it specifically says, And the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? I expected you to take leadership and instead you did nothing. 
but follow your wife. So guys, I'm just saying to you, a transgression is when I let Sherry raise my boys while I go off to work. When I tell her, hey, look, I'm just providing. God requires of us men to be spiritual leaders. It's a specific kind of sin, a lapse when we do not do the right thing. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And then Adam had another lapse. It wasn't me, God. It was the woman you gave me. Not my fault. Not my responsibility. And death came and it came contagious. But there's one remedy. Verses 15 through 16 says this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Why is the free gift not like the trespass? Because Jesus didn't just casually wander onto the cross. He intentionally said, I will do this. For many died through one man's trespass, but much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus. It abounded for many. So Adam was the first man, the father of all humanity. Jesus called the second man the father of all creation. Nothing was made. He returned to rescue his creation, to be the remedy for the death contagion that had infested his creation. And notice what the remedy was. The free gift is not like the result of that one's man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In, in other words, this is the good news right here. It is the obedience of Christ versus the disobedience of Adam. And the good news is that the obedience of Christ is more powerful than the disobedience of Adam. It's more effective. So, let's get to the chart. Verses 17 through 21. First, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man. You see, this is why Paul calls us children of disobedience in Ephesians chapter 2. It's because it's not just the things we do. The things we do are evidence of who we have become. We are disobedient by substance. It's in my core. That's why it's not enough to suddenly feel bad and then become religious. Because in my core, I just become a religious man trying to improve himself. That's why we don't need religion. We need a new birth. We don't need to be improved. We need to be transformed. We need to be absolutely transformed. Because God's mercy, His grace, Grace is better. 
So verse 17, death reigns in Adam's sin, but life reigns in Jesus' righteousness. Secondly, verse 18, there is one trespass that led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and the life of all men. You see the difference between Adam, our biological father, and Jesus, our good shepherd. Adam left his post. Jesus hung on it. That one act of righteousness led to justification. So if we remain in the kingdom of our earthly father, we have condemnation in him. But if we are under the kingdom of, the, of righteousness, there is justification, meaning he makes us in our substance right. He doesn't make me correct. He changes the very substance of who I am. He, by his obedience, makes me, makes you right. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many are made sinners, so the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Through Adam's disobedience, sin enters the world. Through Jesus' obedience, righteousness enters the world and my heart. It's his obedience that makes me righteous. That's why you cannot obey until you embrace his obedience. He sets the model. That's why we teach baptism not as a religious rite, but as a step of what? Obedience. That's why we encourage all new believers, be baptized soon. Don't wait. It's not about being qualified. It's about learning to take steps of obedience. And if you don't take that first step, it will be hard to take a second or third or fourth. Be baptized to start learning the Lord's obedience. Now the law came to increase the trespass, meaning expose it. But where sin increased, grace abounded more. Okay, so just think about your week right now. Have you done anything or thought anything or said anything that grieved God? Yes, you did. I'm just guessing. Did you not do something that you should have done? Did you not say something that you should have said? Yes, you did. Again, just guessing based upon the bar. Good news is this, His grace is more than your trespass. His grace abounded all the more. The more sin increased, the more His grace. Actually, the word is superabounded. That means if you're a vessel, you're not going to run out of grace. You're going to have a constant overflowing of grace. That's why we're talking about grace together. Because when you have been the object of grace, the object of being the object of grace is not enjoying being the object of grace. 
The object is to be a steward of the overabundance of grace that God has lavished on you. That means we speak to each other differently. We say different things. We steward the voice of God. We help people to know how they are loved. We don't seek to cut them down to size. We don't keep a record of wrongs because of the grace is so great in my life, I cannot contain it. It, it just is bubbling out. It's overflowing. And so, verse 20, law exposes and increases grace, or sorry, guilt. Grace just flows even more. So stop getting discouraged when you fail. God didn't supply you with just enough. He supplied you with an overabundance of grace and mercy. And finally, verse 21, He does this so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign in righteousness. This is the full chart. Two kingdoms. Two dominions that will weigh down on us and change everything about the way we live. The only thing I've got to decide is which passport am I going to travel on. If guilt and death and condemnation is working for you, then bless you. Good on you. But if not, there's a kingdom that was prepared for your rejoicing by the obedience of one man. I've got to be honest with you, though. You know, we preach from the ESV. Do you know that that's kind of the authorized version for the Reformed Church, Calvinist Bible? I'm not ashamed of it. But sometimes I trouble myself in the middle of the night with worry. About five years ago, Sherry and I were in America, and um, uh, we had a good friend who attends a church in Washington, D.C., and so we attended that church. I love the pastor. I read his books. That Sunday, the title of the message was Total Depravity. Now, if you ask me, do I believe in total depravity, I'm going to say yes. The whole Sunday was on total depravity. In fact, there was one noun used over and over and over in that sermon and, and in that worship experience. I, I started counting probably too late, but I counted 11 times. Worm. 11 times. Worm. W-O-R-M. I just spelt and I'm dyslexic. That's a miracle. We even sang the original version of Isaac Watts' great hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And as we were walking out of the service, Sherry asked me, so how was that for you? And I just said, I, I am feeling... So wormy. You know, it's true. The, the cross is there 
to remind me of the price paid for the free gift of righteousness. It is true. God calls us to be crucified to ourselves. But sometimes we spend so much time beating ourselves up when we should be celebrating the grace of God. I'm no longer in the realm of guilt and death. And this is why I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. Christ himself endured the cross for only six hours. How many years are you beating yourself up for putting Christ on the cross? Do you know he willingly, not because you were awesome, not because he expected you to prove, he willingly went to the cross because of his love. Can, can we celebrate that? God never planned for us to be forever painfully stretched out on that cross. Because alas, and did my Savior bleed, so I will suffer too. If you are suffering, let me just tell you, that's not that spiritual when the price has been paid. So, This is what Tozer reminded me. The cross that we celebrate during Passion Week. We need to understand that though there was great joy, it began with great sorrow. But the sorrow was followed fast by the joy of life. As soon as the cross has done its work, then life re-entered and did its work in Christ. And so now, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise not the dead Jesus. We praise the living Christ. So, why is it then that I can't have joy? Why is it that when I watch the passion of the Christ, I weep and I weep and weep, and then after that, I can't bear to watch it anymore. Why is it that I need to feel wretched before I can feel holy? Friends, it's because I am not Jesus. He hung on that cross only six hours, and then he gave his life away. But I hang painfully, pressing against the nails, holding myself up, struggling against the cross. And so that's why I say, as long as my legs unbroken, I will struggle to know the joy afforded when grace reigns. 
I am not Jesus. You are not Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm a thief hanging next to him. My legs need to be broken before this old man dies because my will is strong. I would rather be improved than be dead, buried, and resurrected. That's why I continue Sunday after Sunday to ask this same reflection question, and that is, have you been fully conquered? Has the cross truly done its work in you? Is Christ fully alive? Are you fully enjoying the blessings of grace and mercy that are afforded in the kingdom that Christ, by His choice of righteousness, gives us? Or is every week a struggle? As we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite you to bow for just a moment with me. As your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, I wonder if you could hear this word personally. It was never Christ's plan that you should forever be stretched out painfully, suffering, living in the gap between the kingdom of guilt and the kingdom of grace. Christ's joyful resurrection followed hard upon his joyless crucifixion. Would you be willing to say to the Lord today, as we prepare to come to the table that honors his specific intentional choice, would we be prepared to say, God, I'm not asking you to fix me. I'm asking you to take me, break me, remake me, not into a better image of myself, but into the image of your son, whose only longing was to obey your voice, to usher into the, in the kingdom of life and light, where grace reigns supreme. Not so that I would be perfect, but so that I would know perfectly the God who is perfectly faithful in my life. Maybe you're here today and, and you don't even consider yourself a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to have access to Jesus. If right where you are, you cry out to Him and say, Oh Lord, I'm tired of going my way. It's provided me only with brokenness and guilt. And so today I want to turn to you. I give you everything I have. Even my doubts I give to you. Come in and make me a new creation. Then friend, you can come boldly into his presence. And you will find him day after day working in you to create you 
to be a creature after his own pleasure. Not an improved you, but a brand new, transformed child of the living God. This work he does by his spirit that lives in you. But I suspect that most of you here are much like me. Doing the best you can. Trying to follow, but struggling. Your sins, they are many. But the good news is his mercy is more. Super abundant. Overflowing today and overflowing tomorrow. If you would in this moment say, oh God, I come afresh to you. Make me new again. Fill my heart with joy that is a settled confidence in the work that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will continue to do in my life. Do this so that you would be glorious in my life and that death would die and life in me become contagious. Father God, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your people and you hear the prayers of those who are not yet your people. We invite you to respond in ways that give you glory. Fill us with joyful confidence that we can live joyfully, overflowing in abundant grace. Life given by the obedience of this one glorious man, Jesus. We thank you, God, that when we could not help ourselves, when we were yet your enemies, you filled your glorious presence in the flesh of a Palestinian Jew. You walked this earth perfectly. You died for us, and yet you rose and lived today. This is what we celebrate as we come to your table. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, because the Lord's Supper, yes, brothers, come and go ahead and stand up here with me. Because the Lord's Supper is practiced in many different ways, let me just say a word about how we believe it is taught in Scripture. We do not believe that as we take this biscuit, this wafer, or drink this cup, that we're actually bringing in the person of Jesus Christ. We do not believe that somehow we are becoming a Christian again because we take communion. We believe we are remembering the Passover. So when Jesus and his first disciples met that day, they were meeting not as Christians, they were meeting as Jews who had found their Messiah. They were celebrating the ancient Hebrew festival that went back all the way to the book of Exodus when Moses was led by God to bring his people out of Egypt and they were commanded, take the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb, and put its blood on the doorposts of your homes. And when the angel of death comes and sees the blood of that lamb, he will pass over and you will live. 
because of one man's obedience, righteousness came because he was the perfect Lamb of God. We celebrate today that death has passed over. So let me just say to you that if, if you're not a Christian, uh, just let this pass by. Nothing magical is going to happen if, if you have not made a decision to follow Christ, to be obedient in every way. They just let it pass by. You, you might notice there's some Christians in this room. Don't look around, but you may. Who decide to let it pass. Because there's something in their life they want to make right first. Before they next take the biscuit and drink the cup. Because we remember the story when Jesus said, One of you will betray me. This is why we examine our hearts. Just as each of those disciples begin to ask, Lord, is, is, is it me? But if you feel like you have done everything to pursue obedience, then please, let's remember the blood and the body of, of Christ. Because of this one obedience, we can joyfully live in the kingdom of grace until that lamb comes, not as a Jewish Palestinian, but as the king of all creation. I'm going to invite those who are serving with us to first serve the bread, and then we will pray together.
I'm going to invite Pastor Eugene to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son whose body was broken for us. Father, even as we've just heard from your word that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And so, Father, we come, with you, come to you with this confidence that because of what Christ has done, how his body was broken for us, we can come freely to you and find rest and hope and life. So, Father, we pray that you encourage our hearts, help us to rejoice and to give thanks to you for this amazing sacrifice that Christ has accomplished for us. Help us to rest in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Scripture tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you take it in remembrance of me.
invite Pastor Oliver to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup. Father God, we thank you for this cup we are holding in this, our hands, Lord, the cup of the Lord's Supper. We thank you that this points us to what Christ has done for us, His blood shed on the cross for us, His blood that covers our sins, His blood that turns away your anger towards us sinners, His blood that brought us peace with you, so that when we trusted in Christ Jesus, we can be counted as righteous in your sight. Oh, we thank you for all this. Thank you for all these privileges. We thank you that we now are in a right relationship with you. We thank you that we can call you Abba, Father. We thank you that now we know the gift of eternal life. Life has entered and we know eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we take of this cup, Lord, help Help us remember this truth and let this sing into our hearts so that gratitude will well up within us, so that we will, will truly be thankful um, for this, for what Christ has done for us. And may this gratitude motivate us, encourage us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant provided by my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture does not say that after supper they passed their cups to the middle aisle and the ushers collected them. But if you wouldn't mind doing that, we'd be grateful. What we do know is after they celebrated this supper together, they sang a hymn and then they went out. They went out to do what? I'm suggesting we ought to go out to practice the superabundance of grace that God has given us. So as we close our time together, let's stand and sing our final song together as we prepare to go. Depths I cry to you. From darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me anew and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. For you to count my sinful ways. How could I count? Before your throne, yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. I will wait for you, I will wait for you on your word. I will 